Welcome to Startup Hacks, a We Global podcast. We explore the stories and secret strategies that women entrepreneurs use to save time and money when bootstrapping and building their businesses. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina. Welcome back to another episode of Startup Hacks. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina, and today I am excited to welcome Nicola Stevenson. Nicola is one of the co-founders of OHO, a cannabis wellness brand where she leads all marketing and partnership initiatives for the business. Nicola is also the founder of Free, which works with clients in medtech, the hospitality space, and the women's movement. In 2018, she founded a nonprofit called It's a Thing that raises awareness and money for head and neck cancer. Nicola, thank you so much for joining us. It's such a pleasure to have you. Oh, my pleasure. Really great to be here chatting to you today. Thank you. So um, I'm so excited to have this discussion with you because I love what you're doing and such an interesting story. But before we begin, I'm wondering if you could give us a little bit of context and paint a little bit of the background of from which you come, where you were raised, how you got started um, in your professional journey. Of course. Um, so I grew up in a small town in the north of England, and my uh, parents uh, didn't marry. I was a product of their wild affair, which is really a whole book for another time, or that's a gin and tonic when we when we get the chance. <laughs> And so, um, you know, but normal is just your normal, right? So I, I think up until the age of sort of six or seven, my, you know, environment was just my environment. I, you know, I adore, you know, both of my, my parents. And, you know, as you, as you get a little bit older, people make decisions that are, are, are right for them and not to dwell too much on that. But um, my mom came from a very, you know, humble background um, my dad came from a very working class background in Liverpool, one of seven children. Um, he grew up, you know, with no money and used to tell us, you know, stories of not having glass in the windows and to which we would all get out our tiny violins, as you could imagine. <laughs> and um, and he really was completely self-made. He was not stupid you know he was he was sharp um he was streetwise and he was a serial entrepreneur so my childhood was you know one day we were packing up posters for computer games and the next day we were sending out brochures for a kitchen business and some days there were money some days there wasn't any money some days we could pay the school fees some days we couldn't and um but it was it was a a, a great uh, ex, you know, a great experience and, and just how I, I, you know, so working for someone was sort of a very strange concept for me, as you can imagine. Um, you know, I, I, my, my father had this just, you know, flexibility of really, you know, doing whatever he, he wanted. So um, I studied, you know, at school, uh, went to college, studied journalism, and then I moved to London. Um, and my uh, tutor said, you'll never get a job in journalism, you're not tough enough. And so I ended up in the communications field. And I started there. And after a couple of years, um, at that time, the industry was very segmented into really direct marketing, you know, but through the mm -hmm. mail, no social mm -hmm. media, 
uh, PR, um, communications, corporate communications, and then advertising, which was the holy grail of everything. And um, it was a very exciting time because as I entered the industry in sort of early 2000s, you know, YouTube had just been invented and all of these new blogging was a thing. And so I went out on my own after a couple of years and started my, my first agency. And wow. um, yeah, so that sort of was how I, I got going. I think I borrowed 10,000 pounds from my dad, who frankly may or may not have had it, depending on the day. Mm -hmm. But that day he had it. So yeah, I borrowed some money from him, which I repaid. And, you know, the great thing about the agency business is you can start it with very little resource. Oh. You just need a computer and a phone, really. And was that scary for you to start your business with a loan from your dad? I think that at the time, you know, when you're in your 20s, what was I like 25? I think you're so uh, unaware of what could possibly go wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you, so, so I, I just looking back, you know, how anyone gave us any business, you know, I have no idea. Um, and of course, you know, your family is totally useless. My mother still doesn't know what I do. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I love her very much, but she, you know, is still, what, what are you doing again, darling? So, you know, I, but the people around, you know, that you build relationships with, mentors, you know, they all kind of come into play. So I think I really, I remember having a meeting with an accountant and he said, I'll be amazed if you're in business after a year. Wow. <laughs> but, you know. I don't think I, I don't think I realize the consequences. You know, I just have to add a little personal tidbit to that. Uh, having been um, born in Portugal, and in Portugal, there's only a handful of like occupations um, that really are commonly discussed beyond kind of basic uh, jobs, and that's lawyer, doctor, etc. So, given that I was in the entertainment business, my mother could never really explain to people what I did because I was developing TV shows, and that was just foreign to to them. So she just resorted to telling everybody that I was a doctor, and I never understood when I would walk the streets. They would be like, "Doutora Fernanda," you know. And I was like, "Why does everyone think I'm a doctor?" So that's just so funny. Amazing, so, amazing. So let's talk a little bit about your. Okay, so you started your business, obviously took off and grew because you stayed in the entrepreneurial kind of life for um, a long time. And then how did you transition from the marketing area to your current business? So around about five years ago, I had moved to the U.S. to really grow our agency business here. And, you know, it, agency businesses are wonderful but they are so people oriented. And I had a bit of an, uh, an intervention. Um, I became unwell and I had to come out of the business for a little time. And when I returned, I, I sort of had a different relationship to it. I can't really explain, not in a negative way, but by this time the company was 200 people. It's a well-oiled machine and it's running. And, you know, I think what you learn about yourself is what you're, you know, better at and, and not so good at. And, you know, what I probably really learned through that period was I'm a horrible manager. 
I never finish anything. But if you want something started, I'm your person, you know? <laughs> um, and so I found myself in, like, financial meetings and this and that. And, you know, it just, it was just not really, you know, I, I was, um, you know, I, I'm passionate about practicing communications and brand marketing but I really fell out of love with with running the company at that time mm -hmm. and we sold it and you know it did not go well my first exit was a complete uh you know a lesson in exiting oh, um really? which you know happens and the more people you speak to the more you know and that and that is an experience to share another time but you know, we, we sold the company and, you know, um, you, you know, you lose control at that point. And, and so, you know, we, we were not aligned with our new partners ultimately. And so I, so I left. And so I ended up in my non-compete. So I couldn't start another agency. And my husband and I had invested in a marijuana company. Uh, a couple of friends were setting up back in 2019, 2018. And my husband, who was in the restaurant business and the music industry, was just like, this is this is the industry. You know, it, he, he was just so excited about it. You know, we went to a dispensary in L.A. You know, I had never taken any drugs. So this is a whole new world. And it was just sort of you could feel the energy, you know, around the business. And so what was amazing about my exit kind of going wrong, I guess, is, you know, when a company is 200 people, it's very hard to change it or move it around or, you know, whereas we suddenly had this time period in our lives where we could start something new. And so we, we, we started OHO with uh, James's best friend, Tim, who's in the UK. And so tell us about OHO. So James and Tim went on a, you know, car adventure across America looking for this, you know, ideal in their mind, sun-grown, beautiful hemp plants. And they, what they found were, you know, very large operators. The farm bill had recently come in, um, not really great farming practices, a lot of rubbish in the market, you know, um, and we would call it snake oil, you know, pricing structures all over the place, uh, complicated, you know, people charging you $200 for something that's got 20 milligrams of CBD in it, you know, it was really uh, unsophisticated. And the generation, I think, you know, in their 40s and 50s with a lot of, you know, business experience was, I think, quite afraid and skeptical of the industry. And that's changing, but very slowly. And so it was it was really full of chances. And, you know, a lot of people who were, you know, getting high, which is fine, obviously, but it's not, you know, it was not run, it, it did not run properly as a business. So, you know, the, they really felt strongly about having you know, sustainable products, um, clean products, products that were fully transparent. Where were the growers that had come from the marijuana space that really knew how to grow these plants and extract them in the right way? And so we set off on our search for those farms and those farmers and slowly 
uh, we found our first farm in upstate New York and one in Colorado. And we noticed this idea of terroir, you know, like wine or cheese, depending on where it's grown, there are different appellations. And so we started creating oils with independent growers and farmers. And what we, you know, our mission is to kind of build this, you know, fantastic network of grown in America, you know, farmers and bring their products to market, but to a certain standard that the consumer can really connect with and understand. Interesting. So can you um, repeat that again? Did you say Terra Y? Oh, terroir, it's a French, so T-E-R-R-O-I-R, it's like, you know, how do you say, it's my, it'll be my English accent, so just the, The, like, The high fashion predatory or however it's pronounced. Right, right, just where, you know, where, where grapes are grown, you know, Mm -hmm. it, it, it creates a completely different, uh, product, and, You know, not not no single plant is the same. So you know, uh, I used to work on uh, for LVMH and Krug, and you know that that the Krug vintage is a blend, and mm-hmm. so you know they're blending different vintages and different years, and so it, it never tastes the same. You know, and so the the sense that people were applying just this put CBD in everything and give it to your dog, you know, <laughs> felt like it was a little bit more sophisticated than mm-hmm. that, perhaps. So you're also, you're, so if I understand you correctly, you're developing your CBD oils specifically in this case, um, almost like fine wines from different regions of the country. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. That's pretty unique, No for your industry? I think, you know, I I think there are certain, you know, smaller growers who really, uh, you know, certainly hold the same values, but I don't think anyone's really tackling it at a brand level in, in the way that, that we are. Um, and like wine, you know, sometimes it's, when it's very good, it runs out. And then another year, you might not get the same crop. And right. so you need the flexibility um, and the consumer understanding to be able to explain that. And so we we came across that idea, you know, if we can't, we just didn't want to go to a big manufacturer and, you know, buy a bunch of plants. We wanted to really, you know, look at how we could support you know, consumers, how we could support, um, sorry, farmers, how we could support communities, um, because hemp growing is a really wonderful regenerative opportunity for farming communities. And so there's been a lot of struggle where farmers have grown hemp, great hemp, and it, it's gone to waste. So, mm. you know, uh, finding the, the right growers and, and collaborating just felt like a a much more natural approach. And so tell us a little bit about your product offerings that you've been developing. We started with oils, so a tincture that you you take, you ingest, and we felt very strongly that that needed to be what we call full spectrum, and that is meaning that we use the whole plant, including a little bit of THC, but within the FDA regulations. Mm-hmm. 
And by doing that, you get what is called the entourage effect. So you get all of the benefits. And so we wanted to really make a product that, you know, when you take it, you feel like it's working for you, you know, um, because I think part of what was happening in the industry was, you know, people were taking, buying oils, you know, for a lot of money and, and not feeling any effect. And so, you know, you're then like, well, well, it's kind of like taking cod liver oil. Maybe it's working, maybe it's not, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we we said about really uh, focusing on making the highest potency, most effective uh, oils that we could. So we started there. And then as we started giving it to friends to try, um, people started putting it on their skin. And, you know, a friend of mine in Chicago was using it for repetitive strain. Um, another friend of mine with very dry skin was using it as her face, you know, yeah. uh, re- regime. And I-, I must admit, I have been a little skeptical about the beauty rush mm. in a way. Um, but, you know, I-, I said to James and Tim, I think there's something, you know, here. And so we have developed a balm and we are developing a hand cream um, we're developing a sunscreen, um, and we just also started working with a chef on uh, pastilles, so gummies, um, and just starting to, you know, be a bit more, you know, extend our product line. But the, the three oils uh, were really our core products, and now we're starting to develop, you know, very slowly and carefully, but some things in response to what people tell us they want. Interesting. So I I would imagine that there probably are startup hacks that you would apply, perhaps differently in in this particular industry than maybe you would just globally if you were starting a startup. Because I know that since it's a new industry, there's probably certain unique challenges that you have to be a little bit more strategic with. But if you were to pinpoint kind of three go-to startup hacks that you used in launching this business that you think are um, really key, important um, strategies, whether it be time management or self-care or leadership-oriented or, you know, how to best position your product or service, what would you, um, what would you say those are? Well, it, it, it's such a great question because this was a very different business um, for me to to come into and I was always complaining about what possibly my clients could be doing and why they weren't returning my calls (laughs) (laughs) and now I feel like marketing is at the bottom of the list um you know which is not where it should be obviously um this one is going to sound obvious but you just have to believe in the product and if it's not good enough go back to the drawing board and start again and two weeks before we, you know, put the brand out there, we ripped up all of our identity and started again. Wow. And so I think that, you know, you you ha- you can evolve, you can change, but if you don't if you don't start with a great product that you can believe in and stand behind, particularly in this industry, um, it, it's very difficult uh, because there's a lot of noise. 
And, you know, people say, oh, why are you getting into the CBD space? It's really crowded. And I'm like, that's like someone saying, why are you getting into the alcohol industry? You know, it's sort of so huge. And so I think that having a great product, having a product you believe in, really understanding and being able to explain it to other people is really important. Um, you know, there's so much education needed. Um, and, and I'm sure it's true of many things, but, you, you know, spend the time, you know, looking for the right things and, and, and you'll know when you have it. Mm-hmm. Very good. What else would you suggest? The other thing um, that I found really great about OHO is, and maybe it's COVID and the pandemic and people having more time being at home in some ways, mm-hmm. is, you know, collaborating. And we've collaborated with, you know, other startups, companies who are a little bit bigger than ours, um, you know, join forces to create collaborations and it feels like a lot of work and it can feel like a distraction but if you can use other people's audiences to bring people into your world that can be very powerful you know there's you know what nine billion websites on the internet so you know you're not going to get discovered easily and so in our industry you know we can't advertise on social we can't advertise on google so we're very restricted and so you know i found that you know using uh people's you know brand equity partnering and and doing things in that in a different way has been really wonderful and then the other thing i would just say is you know never be afraid to pick up the phone and ask for help of Mm -hmm. anyone you know um when you're really beginning, you know, it's people will hit you back and, you know, just, you just got to get it, get amongst it. And did you, um, did you find that if, if you were still working in your agency, that the hacks that you're just suggested would be slightly different? I think, yes. Yes, I think they would be. Um, yes, I think the industry in the agency business, um, you're much more people oriented, um, and so having that team understanding how you can produce work, particularly in this new world, um, from a digital infrastructure point of view, I think there would be there would certainly be different different things, um, but for this for this business specifically, um, you know, some things are a crossover for sure, you know, being flexible, keeping going, nothing is perfect. Um, You know, I certainly think are true for both, but there's definitely a difference between starting a product, you know, a consumer brand than, than starting a consultancy. Okay, so now I have one last question because unfortunately we're starting to run low on time. So here we go. If you could wave a magic wand, what one thing that drives you crazy do you wish someone would find a solution for that would help your productivity and sanity? Oh, <laughs> if, <laughs> that's so good. I think if someone could give me omnipresence mm. so I could be with my kids, make dinner, uh, be in my business, 
um, or at the same time, that would be magic. Oh my gosh, I hear you. I would sign up for that service tomorrow. <laughs> Could it, was I allowed to have an, an unreasonable goal there, or did it have to be practical? No, not at all. I mean, let's face it, it's this is all science fiction. We're all, I'm sure five years from now, there'll be some solution. I don't know what it'll be called, like um, virtual nanny. I have no idea. Perfect. But, but Perfect. I think that... But I think for entrepreneurs, it's a real issue, right? I We suffer from that in my own household, where when you're fully immersed, it's hard to sometimes disconnect because you love what you do and, you know, you have other responsibilities. So it's always such a balancing act. Yes, I, I think that's true. And, and just very quickly, I know we're, we're running tight on time, but my, one of my mentors, um, Juliet Tim, said to me, you know, being an entrepreneur, and it's, it's such great advice, is really an illusion you know, there are 50 balls in the air and you just have to make sure the top five are moving at any one time and that the one that's about to go horribly wrong, you pick up before it hits the floor. Yes. And so I think that is, you know, not putting too much pressure on yourself and being able, but being able to create the illusion is, is something to just, you know, there's no way you can get across it all. No way you can complete everything. No one can do that. Um, but, you know, focus on the important things and catch the disasters before they happen. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Nicola. It was awesome to have you on the show. And I think a lot of your insights were fabulous and also such an, in an interesting industry that a lot of people don't really have an inside knowledge about. So thank you for sharing that. And if anyone would like to learn more about your company and if they're interested in your products, where should they go? Uh, they can go to weareoho.com. And my email is nicola at weareoho.com. So if anyone wants to hit me up directly, my pleasure. So I want you to spell oho because I want to make sure people land on the right place. Yes, of course. So it's we, W-E-R-A-R-E-O-H-H-O.com. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. That was another episode of Startup Hacks. Please tune in next week where we have an opportunity to spend another quality period of time with another great founder who will be sharing her journey and her startup hacks. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining Startup Hack. Tune in next week for more interviews. We have another great show you won't want to miss on the secret female founder strategies that can save you time and money when building your business. This podcast is brought to you by Women Entrepreneurs Global, the first startup studio and digital do-it-yourself startup platform for women. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit womenentrepreneurs.global. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina. See you next week.